CPD Health Courses. Dry needling training for health professionals. Online theory plus face-to-face -face practical. Start your training today at cpdhealthcourses.com. So, let's get going. I'd like you all to welcome Paul Wright, a million-dollar health professional and physiotherapist. He's kindly agreed to uh, speak to us tonight. And uh, he's uh, with me right now from Sydney. Uh, Paul, are you there? I am, mate, and uh, thanks for having me. It's an absolute, uh, absolute pleasure to be on the call. So I've, uh, I'm looking forward to it. You are in Sydney. Oh, north of Sydney. I'm, north I'm based uh, based just south of Newcastle, which is an hour or so north of Sydney. So oh, okay. on the shores of beautiful Lake Macquarie. So I'm, uh, I've, I'm left Sydney a few years ago to retreat to a country lifestyle. Oh, okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, talking of places where people live, uh, we uh, have got people from Australia, obviously, but we've also got uh, visitors from Singapore, the UK and the US, and we'd especially like to uh, welcome them. Uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the demographics of tonight's audience is uh, physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, myotherapists, and uh, musculoskeletal therapists. In fact, we've even got a medical doctor listening, so that's a fantastic turnout, and we thank you for uh, listening to us tonight. I hope you enjoy it. Let's start off with our first question, Paul, uh, and uh, do that by introducing you and uh, what your background is. You're a physiotherapist, and uh, in fact, you're a physical education teacher in 1987, and you became a physiotherapist in 1990, and you have a business management diploma. Uh, it says in your uh, CV that you opened multi, multiple, multiple uh, multidisciplinary health clinics, closed a few, been locked out of one, and some, uh, and sold some others. This is an interesting background, Paul. Uh, and he has employed countless therapists and support staff, fired some, and rehired others. Now you have several businesses, Paul, a million dollar health professional, and the physio professor, and you're also a business coach. You're a very busy man. You present in Australia and around the world about a topic that I know you're very passionate about, helping health practitioners achieve their true potential in business by providing them with the knowledge that their undergraduate training doesn't address. I know that's a, a, a very big topic. And um, let's start off with my question to you. You mentioned that you have the ultimate health business lifestyle. And in fact, your business website is called The Million Dollar Health Professional. Tell me what that means. Um, well, when I started the original business, if we go back a stage one in your introduction, um, I started out like most health professionals. I, I was consulting and I thought that was that was going to be my career as treating patients. And I, I got progressively more interested in the business of healthcare, and uh, I suppose that then transpired into me wanting to teach other health professionals how I'd done it and how I'd grown our businesses over the years. So the idea of the million dollar health professional just came upon me as a uh, that's a way to, to indicate that we are in a, in a financial uh, financial position or we want to be making money and be profitable uh, while still providing ethical care. So I suppose that's where the name came from. But for me, as, a, as a, the ultimate health business lifestyle, um, I set some goals for myself when I had the businesses. I, I got to a stage I had six get active physiotherapy practices in and around Sydney. And my claim to fame was I, I didn't go to any of them. And when I did, it was a, it was a fleeting visit. So I... I was trying to run them remotely, and I, and I did that very well, uh, successfully for, for quite a number of years. So for me, that was the lifestyle. I wanted a business that gave me more life. And I think if you, if you, the more you read about business and know about business, 
the definition of a business is, according to Brad Sugar's action coach, you might have heard of Brad Sugar's, a business is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. And I know most health professionals are so caught up doing the hands-on work that it's, it's reliant on them. So for me, the ultimate health business lifestyle was not having to be anywhere at any time, which gave me freedom of time, freedom of money. Um, and, and that's, but again, that's just my definition of it. Everyone's got their own definition. Um, and I suppose I got more of a buzz as I grew the businesses out of growing the business side of it rather than treating patients. So I, I knew a successful uh, business for me was not having to treat patients or be anywhere. But that's, that's again, just me. But some people like to do a balance of both. The guys I work with, we, we set them goals of, of only consulting if they want to, okay. uh, not because they have to. And that's a very big difference to most to most health businesses or health professionals who think that's all they do and all they do in their business is just consult, which is a very different thing than what I'm trying to push to my guys. Excellent. Okay. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, if you had a magic wand and uh, you could change the way that health professionals are taught at universities and colleges around Australia... What would you do? Because I, th I think that there's something wrong then with the way that we're being trained. Because I know from my own personal background, um, we were taught uh, many things, a lot of skills, how to be safe and so on. But we weren't taught anything about business. What would you do? Well, I think a lot of you know, courses are getting better now. There are, some are starting to include some business training in their courses. But I think when that comes back to where we started, our, our, a lot of our education courses, our... our primary means was to go into a public hospital or a public health system and, and the growth of the private practice sector has changed all that so now you've got to be a professional and be great technically but you've also got to run the business side of things and I think most university courses these days probably just don't have enough time to put a business strand in but the ones that are are paying dividends and I think that's that's certainly a um, something we need to think about is putting some business education into our university qualifications because how can we possibly be any good at running business when we don't do any training in it? It's a, it's a ridiculous thing to graduate and run a business in something that does a technical service, and they're totally, totally opposite. Um, and if you, if, can I suggest the guys out there, if you want to get your head around this a bit better, um, the first thing I ever read that, that changed my mind a little bit about, about the whole idea of business and, and consulting was the, hopefully read it, was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Mm, that's a great I remember, book. I remember consulting, hopefully it's one most of you guys should have read. If you're not, go and, go and get it. It's only a thin book. But I remember consulting in my practice in Chatswood and it was, it was 8 o'clock at night, the sun had gone down, I was still there seeing patients and a, and a bus used to go past the, the, the um, Eastern Valley Way where we were in Chatswood in Sydney. And on the side of the bus was a big sign that said, why most small businesses fail and what to do about it. Mm. And, it, and it kept, this bus kept going past. I thought, there's a sign here, the universe is telling me something. And it led me to the, the Michael Gerber book, you know, which, which is the e-myth, which is all about how we, we probably are better off not even knowing how to do the technical work in our business and starting something we can't do because then we've got to outsource the technical work and focus on the business. It's a, it's a total mind shift way that, that uh, really opened my eyes to what a business should be. Yeah, yeah. The E-Myth is a great book and I highly recommend it. In fact, that's uh, how I started uh, understanding what business was all about within my um, health profession, my, my health practice. Uh, it's, it's a great book and I, I recommend it like you. And, and as Gerber says, he talks about most of us, you know, we, we might graduate from university and we, and we, uh, we start, our, start consulting, working for someone, mm. as we'll talk about in a second, but then I didn't think, well, at some stage... Do you, Gerber talks about the entrepreneurial seizure. 
you then yeah. have a seizure which turns you from being a, a, a treating therapist into wanting your own your own business yes and, and you then before you know it you've, you've gotten rid of the guy who's employing you because you, you think they don't know what they're doing and you take you start your own business yeah and be, before too long you're not only seeing the patients you're doing everything else as well you're, you're cleaning vacuuming the floor going to the bank doing everything yes yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's just a total totally different mind shift and then we uh, we work out that we're actually then we don't actually have a business at all we've just got another job yeah, absolutely. Um, and in fact, we might as well go and work for somebody else then. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we're probably working for somebody who's overworked doing everything. We're not doing a great job. We can't do everything. And it's just, it's, it's silly to think we can. So yeah. it was a good read. I think it's a good place for guys to start. If you haven't done anything in business, it might be a good starting place for you. So it's a, it's a nice place to be in. Excellent. Okay. So, you know, there, there are people listening to this who are business owners and there are people who are associates who work for business owners. Let's say that I'm a, a associate, I, I work for somebody. Do I really need to know any of this business stuff? Well, I, 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 I remember hearing Andy Grove, who was the CEO of Intel. And Andy's famous quote was, your career is your business and you are its CEO. Mm. I think we, we lose, when someone says I work for someone else, that I don't think anyone works for themselves, works for someone else anymore. They all work for themselves. Yeah. They're building their CV, they're building their brand. And, and I remember doing a lecture once when there was a, a chap come up to me and he asked me exactly that question. He said, Paul, I'm, I'm working for another guy at the moment. I'm, I think it was an osteopath. And he said, I'm, why should I bust myself? Why should I put all this in when I'm really only working for him anyway? Mm. I said, well, well yeah, it's a common thought. So, well, let's, let's look at this one. You've got a guy at the moment who's paying your wage for you. Now, why wouldn't you treat the business as if it were your own? Because one day, if you're going to have one, you might see what it's like. Mm. You, you know you're going to still be paid. You know that you're one of the stresses, but work as if it was your own business. And the other thing I pushed then, too, is if you can do that, you actually make yourself irreplaceable. Yeah. Which is the whole idea of, and I believe, an employee, and I, I said this at a lecture recently, the true value of a team member to an organisation is determined by their level of personal initiative. Yeah. I mean, you, how much you can you do outside of the ordinary? How much you can do mm. to stand out from everyone else? Because if you're that sort of person, one, and you, and you come to the negotiation table and talk about wage, it's a ridiculous comparison. Because I'll pay you as the owner. I'll pay you whatever I can afford. I'll pay you as much as I can because you're irreplaceable. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's 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 a classic paradox. The 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 owner wants to try and make you a commodity, mm. which is which is transferable. But you, as if you're a, a, a rank and file therapist or professional. You need to make yourself irreplaceable, yeah. even if it's just coming up with different ideas, working at what you can do, trying different scripts. That that, and then you might be, very easily you'd be offered a partnership, or you might you might look at an opportunity down the road if there's a, a space available, and you think, well, I'll go in here, but you might not have the finances to do it yourself. Yes. You might go to your current employees, look, I want to open this practice, I need some financial backing. Will you back me in it? Yeah. And then before you know it, you're in you're in part owner in your own business and developing equity. So. It's it's silly to think you're just a business an employee because I don't think that happens anymore. Yeah, no, you're yeah, right. really thinking bigger than that. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of parallels between that uh, line where you're, you're talking about making yourself um, unreplaceable and uh, valuable, and rather than a commodity, and also how you treat your own patients. And I find that uh, in my years of practice that way to grow your list is to be different from the next therapist and to be doing something that's just a little bit extra than the next guy so that your patient says well, wow I didn't expect that phone call after that first visit that I had with them because the last person I uh, went to 
even bother uh, finding out why I didn't come back. So if, if, you, if you just do that extra stuff, that little extra thing of how are you, how do you feel, that, that could be something that makes you uh, unreplaceable by that patient. And it's not, even, it's not even also the therapist one. I did a lecture recently. We did a, a front desk program. So we have a front desk training course. Yeah. And I said to the front desk staff, my, and this got a few people offside, and I probably should have rephrased it better when, when I thought about it, but my job as the owner of the business, if I'm employing admin staff, is to make them so systematic and structured that I can replace them in case something happens to them. I, I'm not too vulnerable, and, and that means I don't have to pay them too much money. Now I can, And I've got to control the costs in the business. So that went over like a lead balloon with the, mm. the guys. But I think what I was trying to get at was their, that's what my job is. Yep. But their job is to fight that like anything. Their job mm. is to is to, to do the basics because I expect the basics, but then to do the other things that make them irreplaceable. Yep. And I had, a, I had a classic front desk lady work for me for years. Mm. When she first started, I, I always positioned myself close to the front desk. So my room was always closest to the front desk because yep. I wanted to hear what was happening all the time. Yep. And she was only two days in and I, and I could hear what was going out of there. And I was... I could have sworn blind that she was having private and personal conversations all day because mm. she was so personable. And I, I think she's just she's talking to her friends on my time. It was driving me crazy. Mm. But the more I listened to it, she was that was her personality. She was yeah. she was so engaging and welcoming. She, mm. Everyone who rang was her best friend. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't. I can't train that way. I, no. I can script it to no. the cows come out, but I can't train that. Mm. Mm. So she comes to me for any anything. And how much do you want? What, what, yeah, what, yeah, what do you yeah. want? It's yeah. just a ridiculous analysis. She's leveraged herself yeah. into a position of ultimate strength in that organisation as an employee. Absolutely. You're going to be the same as a therapist. You can't train that, and uh, we've got exactly the same receptionist in our uh, practice. People actually yeah. drop in and ask, ah, oh, is, uh, is Kate in? And they don't want a treatment, <laughs> they just want to talk to the receptionist. And so uh, yeah. they get quite disappointed if she's not in. Um, but and if Kate um, comes to you for a wage rise, why don't you she's listening to this call? Yeah, but... <laughs> you'll have to. Yeah, well, choice. fortunately I used an alias there. Her name isn't actually Kate at all. <laughs> of course, well done. <laughs> now moving on, uh, what are the biggest mistakes? You, you've been uh, speaking to health professionals around Australia for many years now and you've uh, coached a lot of them. Uh, what are the biggest mistakes that health professionals are making out there? Okay, well, let's give, I'll give you a few, but I'll give you a thousand, but let me give you a couple mm, to start mm. with. Can um, I first say that these mistakes are not exclusive to Australia? I, I've, I've, we do these lectures in, we just came back from Canada, we've yeah. done UK, we New Zealand. So we're, these these issues in the health professionals, Wayne, are global. Yeah. So don't sit there and think it's just my area, my country, Australia's not the same as Canada. We, we are, I'm telling you, we're all the same. Yeah. We've got different, slightly different, different nuances, but essentially we all have the same issues. So... Let me give you some that are common across all of us. Um, first one that I think we've kind of touched on already is, is health professionals typically think that, that technical skill is all, all they need to be a success. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think now with the internet and other things happening, when technical excellence is actually just expected. Mm. It, it, it's no longer. It, it might have used to have been essential, but now it's just a, it's just a given. You can't get away with that being anything less than technically excellent. Yeah. And I know a lot of, and unfortunately, I know a lot of incredibly gifted, skilled, great health professionals who end up who end up broke. Yeah. They end up they work for for thirty, forty, fifty years, and they go to sell their business, and it's worth ten grand. Yeah. Mm, mm. And, and that's and I think that comes back to another mistake too, which I which I think it's worthwhile talking about. You have to think about your business as as in two ways. The first thing is is a concept of current bank. 
Right. So you've got you're you're banking for the week, you're banking for the month, your money coming in from the practice. So your so your current bank, and you should always be making sure you're covering wages and covering costs. That's important. Yeah. But equally important, which is what we sometimes don't think about, is the concept of future bank, mm-hmm. which is what 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 am I adding to my business in the long term? What's what's the value of my business when I go to sell it? And and I was fortunate in, in I think in my I stumbled into this. I I was very heavily involved in the fitness industry. So I had a lot of I was in I had physio clinics inside fitness centers as some of you may know and I, I lectured in the fitness circuit and they had a lot of business strands and I, I was moving in some good business circles with health club owners. Yeah. And they were selling their businesses for millions of dollars and it, it just made me think as I was working through what is my business worth? Mm. And it, it's staggering. It, it, imagine a classic orthopedic surgeon can can consult for forty years of their lives as an orthopedic surgeon and then just close the doors. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Imagine, imagine, imagine someone else. To, imagine Bill Gates closing the doors. I mean, it just doesn't happen in other businesses. So, what I'm getting at is the mistake that we make. One of the classic mistakes is not thinking about the future value in our business. Yeah. And that might involve, for example, a health professional goes in and, and decides to set up a practice inside a medical centre, and they think it's a great, it's a great gig. So they've got the doctors referring to them, and they think that's a great, that's a great business. Yeah. Now it might be great current bank, the present bank. They've got nothing to sell because they might not even own the database. Sure. Yeah. So my point is be be aware of what each and every decision you make has an implication to a future bank. Yeah. In my case, I went into I went into fitness centres. Yeah. So I had physio clinics inside fitness centres. Now, that also is going to have an implication on future bank because then I've got to find the leases are then possibly at risk. So they're so they're not worth as much as a as a clinic outside a fitness centre. Yeah. Um, we had one outside, and we bought we bought the building because I knew that if I bought the building, I had security. That then becomes more valuable than if I didn't own the building. Yeah. So, so think about think about future bank all the time in your business as as a major issue. Yeah. So, a couple of others for you. Um, as a result of our technical excellence, we we tend not to train in the principles of sales and marketing. So hopefully this will stir you up a little bit today, because I can tell you now the success and future of your health business is not in the delivery of the service, it's in the marketing of that service. Yeah. In, in, the, in the business world, they say the money's in the marketing. And I know money and health professionals have problems, but, but realistically, we're talking about money today, and that's what we're about. Um, and you can do both, but you've got to make sure you do some business training, whether it's just starting to read some books, getting Michael Gerber's e-myth, mm-hmm. going to some business lectures, becoming savvy with the business world is very, very important for us as health professionals. Yeah. You got time for a couple more? Absolutely. Go. All right. This is this is probably the absolute classic for us, and I'm, I'm sure the guys listening to this will, will understand. One of the biggest mistakes we make, and most of us, I know I made it, mm. is we fall in love with our product. Mm. Mm. Now, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. We, I, I wanted to become, uh, I decided to become a physiotherapist because I was a phys ed teacher. I just finished my physical education qualification, and I thought, I got interested in anatomy, yep. physiology. I was an analytical sort of personality type. Yeah. So I, when I talked to a physio once once at a party, and I thought, well, that sounds like a great job. I'd like to do that. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll go to uni and do it. Mm. And I think it's probably similar to people listening today. Similar. We, we've, we've fell in love with the idea of being a physio, osteo, chiro, naturopath, doctor, podiatrist, whatever we are. Yeah. So we fell in love with that concept. Can you see the, the problem here? At no stage have we ever thought about, is there a market for that? 
how yeah. they're going to make a real living out of it. Yeah. You've only got to look now at the teachers out there. There's 40-odd thousand unemployed teachers around Australia and they're still training teachers. Yeah. So that they fall in love with the idea of being something and not thinking about is there a market for it. Yes. My suggestion to you guys is to, to fall in love with your market. Mm. What I mean by that is work out where the opportunities are. Where is there a gap in the marketplace? What what product or service is not currently looked after well in your area? And then you produce the product to match the market. So it's reverse, reverse engineering. Mm. My business is a classic example of that one. I, I identified a lack of business education for health professionals. Yep. So I went about filling the void. Yes. Uh, now, I, I was fortunate I had an interest in it, so that was fortunate. Mm. But, it, but it's, it's reverse thinking. So don't fall in love with your product. Yeah. Fall in love with the market and then develop the product around the market. Yeah. Because the market doesn't care if you love being an osteopath. You could love it till the cows come home, but if there's no one there interested in it, you, you've, you've, you're in the, in the wrong boat. Absolutely. So find out what the market wants and then supply it. Think market first. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, and interesting enough, when you get into marketing, we do a marketing course on this sort of stuff. And when we, and, and, I'll, and I'll, it's terrible. When you think marketing, you think about what's the where are the hungry markets? Where are the best markets? Yeah. And and the best <laughs> apologies out there. I'm t- talking like a marketer, so I'm taking my physio hat off and talking like a marketer. The best market, the best markets to be in, mm. and you, you'll know this from when when I say it, are the irrational, emotional markets. Mm. Mm. Now, <laughs> now for, for you guys out there, what what comes to mind when I say irrational and emotional as a market? Well, uh, irrational and emotional market. Well, tell me. Go on, I'm sure you're going to tell me. Pregnancy. Right. (laughs) Um, Kids, kid, children's sport. Elite kids sport, where there's the parents are irrational and emotional, having to get the kids into things. Right, yeah. Um, Weight loss is a classic. Yeah, yeah. Why is it such a big industry? Because it's it's emotional. Um, Weddings. Brides mm. and, and yep. I know a dentist who has a, a specific wedding package. Right. So she has a package <laughs> that she runs just for the bride and groom for the right. wedding. Okay. The dentist package. So right. so she's thought about the market. Where is the emotional, irrational market? And she's gone after the brides and grooms. Right. Okay. And who okay. wants to have brown teeth on your wedding day? So <laughs> it's it's just thinking it's thinking laterally market before you think product. And mm. she produced it as a result of that. We're not used to thinking so like that, that, though, are we, Paul? I mean, we, we're thinking, we have to think one plus one is two. We don't go, well, you know what? It sometimes can be three. We don't think like that. <laughs> and that, and that's potentially one of the reasons why one of the other mistakes we make, one great segue, we're, we're actually health professionals typically. Now, I know they're, we're getting more holistic as we get further down the track here, but most health professionals are, that I've seen are, are typically analytical. Yep. They're often like a science degree or there's mm. a science aspect to it. So so you, you come in with a very rational, logical mind and very analytical. Yeah. And that's and that leads to one of the classic mistakes health business owners make. We are we as a result of that way we're too slow to make decisions. Yes. We we analyze things to the nth degree and we look at all the reasons why it won't work and we then do nothing. Yeah. So health professionals are, and this is across the board. Health professionals are slow decision makers. Mm. Now, what I, what I have learnt uh, as I've got better at this is you have to fail in business. Mm. So we all have to, and you should be failing often, <laughs> which is, a, again, counterintuitive. Yes. You 
because I can tell you now, the people who have had the most failure in their lives have also had the most success. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They'll have a crack at things. And I've, as I've opened multiple clinics and I've closed some quickly. But but what I what I did do, and also you need to learn this in business, is you have to, when you fail, you fail fast. Mm. Well, you've been locked example, out. I opened, I opened a clinic, sorry, in um, northern suburbs of Sydney. Yes. So I put a clinic in, in and I, I knew... Within the first month, six weeks, the numbers weren't tracking the way that I, the way that my other practices had done. Yeah. And and I knew pretty quickly I'd made a mistake. Yeah. Now I could have proudly hang on to that thing for two or three years, and it would have dragged me down. Yeah. Or I did what what I've learned to do now is just close it. As Mel Emery, one of my mentors, told me once, you pay once, cry once, <laughs> and and you just close it. Yeah, yeah. I walked away from it. Yeah, paid, yeah. paid my money. Yeah. Paid what I had to do, and I moved on. Yes, yes. And I think so. We've got to fail fast, but then as a result, I fail forward. You'll always learn stuff when you do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's true in life, isn't it as well? Uh, yeah. Can I can I give you one more? Go on. Let, let it just stand as a classic mistake. Sure. Most of us, even though we're analytical, it's, a, it's another paradox. Most health professionals, even though we're analytical in nature, mm. don't know our numbers well enough. Our mm. business numbers. Yeah. I work with a with a small group of, of one on one clients, and one of the first things I get them to do is, is we analyse their numbers. Mm. And I'm yet to find someone who's who's got any idea when we start. <laughs> so, and, it, and the numbers they've got, they, they might well I've got some money in the bank. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, but even I was terrible with this until I, I, I started to get get more aware of it. I thought, well, if my if I look at my appointment book mm. and it's pretty full, I know well I'm doing okay. Yeah. Which is, but it could be falling down around me. I could be, mm. I could be not charging enough for could have all sorts of issues that are going to send me send me broke. But the appointment book was full. I thought I was doing okay. Sure. I, I was running practices. I went out six of them. Some were doing well and some weren't. It was, but I didn't know which was which because I didn't know my numbers well enough. Mm. Yeah. You've, you've got to know your numbers. Key yeah. performance indicators, profit and loss. Yeah. You you have to get around it and understand it. Yeah. Because only then can you make decisions on staffing levels, on marketing budgets. Yep. Can you afford these things? You know, it, it, all my, my guys now in my private coaching program, we know our numbers well enough so we know when we need more staff, when we can afford more staff. What are, our, are we over-admin? You've got to know those numbers well enough, Wayne, otherwise you're just flying blind, which, sure. is, which is just a very poor way to run a business. That's great advice, yeah, Paul. How's that list? Yeah, that's fantastic. Great advice, and uh, yeah, I love that KPIs. You got to know the KPIs. You got to be able to rattle them off your head, just like that. If somebody asks you, well, you go to the accountant. And they say, well, you know, what's happened last week? Who are your best performers? Uh, how many patients did you see? How many of those came back? You got to know that stuff, and that shows a good in-depth understanding of what your business is doing and treating your business a bit like your patients. You know, you're checking up on how their neck's going, how their back's going, because as if your life depends on it, and it really does. And your and your team need to know how they're going. They yeah. they need measurements. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the guys in business use the analogy of a game of football. Imagine yeah. playing a game of football, even watching a game of football when you didn't know the score. Mm, mm, mm. It's it's just it's a, it's an activity, but it's not really getting anywhere. Sure. And it's the same in business. You, Let's say, well, the million-dollar health profession. Well, I had a goal to, to grow a million dollars, or and now there's another goal. So you've got to have. It's just the fact that there's a score in place that you're aiming towards. Yes. And yes. Whether it's consult numbers, whether it's billings for the month, whether it's number of stock sales. Yeah. Uh, we like a stat called utilization rate. So what's your utilization rate of your practice? And what percentage is your time filled with clients? Mm. 
you know, yeah. simple utilisation rate. What's your rebooking average? You know, yeah. what's your cancellation rate? You know, sure. there's all these numbers. Yeah. And most businesses, Wayne, you, if you come back to um, five to six, it's usually a reasonably good number. Yeah, yeah. But at least yeah. if you're measuring something, you've got something to go on. Sure, sure. No, that's fantastic. Okay, just slightly moving in a different direction for a little while there. Uh, there's a um, there's a, a report out this week, in fact, by the Foundation for Young Australians, and it says that job prospects for young people are in some ways more uncertain than 30 years ago, that they will end up with an average of 24000 in debt once they finish higher education. So that's young people listening to this right now who've just spent the last three, four, five years training. And uh, so picture this, you've just spent all that time training and you're already behind on your first day because you've chosen a career in health. Uh, it's not a great start, is it? H how can a, a young graduate get ahead? Okay, well, it's, it's an interesting question because I, my um, youngest daughter now is 16. Mm. Okay, so she's, she's just, in a, she's starting her final year of high school. Yep. And she's, so we're doing the uni rounds and what she's going to do and what she's going to study. And it's interesting, I've, I've been quite... Um, supportive of her going into a, into an education program that gives her a, a lot of exposure to lots of different things. Yeah. So, I mean, and, uh, a law communications course we've talked about. So something that gives her lots of different ideas. Health professionals, though, one of the problems we have is when we, when we typically go and, and study to be a health professional, it's a reasonably narrow career path. You come at, you, you train as a chiropractor, you typically go and become a chiropractor. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's, its strength is its weakness. Now, there might be a shortage of chiropractors, so you think, well, there's a market, so I'm doing the right thing there. Mm. But I think what, what, what I'd suggest you, new graduates and other graduates think about is don't just don't just box, box yourself into the idea that you're going to be a chiropractor if that's what you've studied. Yeah. There might be all sorts of other areas that, that branch off that from yeah. education programs. It's, I mean, for me, I was a physical education teacher. I mean, my fourth career. Yeah. Physical education, education teacher to physiotherapist to physiotherapy business owner, now business consultant, and there's probably other things coming. So don't don't box yourself in and think that's just what you're going to be. Yes. Think about where what other opportunities it, it creates for you. And I'm a huge fan of tertiary education, so don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think it's 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 even if it's a three or four year time where you you find out grow up a little bit and experience the different things and get exposed to different ideas so it's certainly i never think tertiary education is wasted i think we waste it if we think it's too narrow in our focus yeah and don't think broadly enough about how we can use those skills yeah yeah well i agree and uh you know, it's something, and I always start off with a with a slide when I'm doing my dry needling courses that this is uh, that education and learning and knowledge, no one can take that away from you. It's something that uh, is permanent, and I think that's really important to get across to young people. Um, now we've got some questions coming in, which is great, and I will get to those questions shortly. So keep them coming, and um, let's move on to the the next thing now. Look, I've listened to you uh, speak, Paul, and you're a great motivator, by the way. Uh, you're a fantastic speaker. Anyone who hasn't listened to Paul, I, I highly recommend attending one of his, uh, his seminars. One of the things that you always say, though, is that very often it's you, in quotation marks, that's holding yourself back from achieving business and life success by the way you think. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, I, I think it... I, I, well, let me go back a stage. Probably the greatest 
freedom I got in my business, and this might help everyone else out there, was when I finally realised that, and, and someone told me the expression, that the fish stinks from the head down. Mm. Now, now I, I took a while to work that out, but I thought, well, what does that mean? The fish stinks from the head down. When I, when I came across that information and started to think about it, it, it totally freed me from the stress of my team. Yeah. What I mean by that is, is I, I took and still do take personal responsibility for everything that happens in my business and my life. Yeah. Sounds a bit out there, but let's say you're a, you're a health business owner and and, um, and you get a phone call at six in the morning, uh, uh, seven in the morning, say from your from your first therapist who's left their key at home and they can't get into the practice. Yeah. And and which has probably happened to some of us, probably happened to me. So you you then blow up blow up at the therapist, think, well, how can they be so stupid? And and you carry on about the house hard to find great team members and it's just a joke. Yeah. But what 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 the change in mindset you got to have then is that was your fault. Yeah. You didn't have what was the backup system if that happens? What was the protocol if if you leave your key at home, then Brian lives around the corner. You ring Brian, or there's well, it's a follow up protocol. Mm. So. It, what, I, what, I, what I'm getting at is everything that happens in your business is about you. Mm. So don't blame other people. Don't blame the economy because in this economy, there's people doing great and people not doing great. So it can't be the economy. Yeah. You, you accept 100% responsibility for yourself. And once you do that, you're untouchable. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I mucked up an ad or I, or I didn't do something right. Well, it's my fault. Mm. What, what I learned from it, I won't do it again. Yeah. So I, I think... Successful people in terms of, of the you yes. is accepting responsibility for everything in your life. Yeah. And I think if you can do that, it's it's actually very, very freeing. Mm. Um, the other thing is it also means you've got to work hard on yourself. Yeah. So you know, make sure you're you're doing the courses, you're you're becoming as good as you can be. Yeah. And and, and that's and investing in yourself. Mm. Uh, say successful people spend money to save time. Yes. You know, my my classic at the moment I I hate I'm not a real domestic sort. I hate doing chores and other things. So I'll, I'll try and pay anyone I can to do any of these things. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's being aware of what's valuable in your life and what's valuable in your time. But, but accepting responsibility, I think, is important for it. Okay. That's good. That's great. And, uh, yeah, it basically back, it comes back to you that, you know, if something goes wrong, there's got to be a safety net. And uh, yep. that, that safety net is designed by you. There are safety protocols. And that applies, I imagine, I hope that uh, I've understood this correctly. You're saying that's true whether you're an associate or you are a uh, business owner. We've all got the same opportunities, one. You, you, can, you can be fixing it, you accept, you don't blame the boss. Yes. You, know, you, you, you blame your, your role in it and yep. you fix it. Yep. Yep. Obviously, if it comes to a stage where the bot is, is totally irrational, not making sense, then what do you do? Well, you, you get yourself out of there and get yourself in a position where you will be valued and recognised. So, but, that's, but you're in control of it also. Yeah. You, know, you, don't, yeah. you don't sit there and cry that you're in a job you don't like. Yes. The, the classic with this one, I, one of my, in one of my lectures, I talk about, um, I get my, my professionals in the group to imagine they'll look through their list for Monday, if it's a Saturday-Sunday workshop, and imagine their appointment book list. Mm. And I said, well, on that list, if you scroll through it, are there people on that list on Monday, and you guys listening, you might have people in there tomorrow, who you just, who you look at the list and you go, oh, no. You know, you just, oh, mm. if I have to see that person <laughs> one more time, I'm going to, I'm going to go ballistic. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's common. And everyone puts their hand up and they say, well, that's my, that's my list. That's yeah. half of my list. Mm. Mm. Now, you can 
complain all you like and say, well, the list is bad, you know, poor me. Yeah. But but you got those people, and 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 however they're treating you, you're letting them treat you like that. So yeah. it's it's a, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. So accept responsibility for it. Yeah. And, and I'm a fan of sacking clients. <laughs> if, if they're not really, if if they're not you know, politely and ethically, of course. But if you've got a, a patient on your list tomorrow, mm. and you look at their name and you go, "Oh no, Mr. Johnson," yeah, you know, Mr. Johnson pain, and you then then you owe it to yourself and to Mr. Johnson to sit down, Mr. Johnson. Look, I need to have an honest discussion with you. Mm. I want you to be one of my clients. I really want to keep working with you, but at the moment, this and this, I'm not happy with how this is going. You don't respect me, or you talk over me, or you don't do what you tell. Whatever the problems are. Yeah, yeah. Give Mr. Johnson the chance to fix it, but don't sit there and complain about Mr. Johnson if mm. you can do something about it. Well, that's right. Now, why exactly. would you do that? Yeah. Why, yeah. why would you? Why would you do work you don't enjoy doing? Mm. It doesn't make any mm. sense. <laughs> well, actually, this is a, a great segue into the next question because there's a dentist out there, I think, that uh, uh, decided one day that he had obviously a lot of Mr. Johnsons and he got rid of all those Mr. Johnsons overnight pretty much and left. He looked at his, he looked at his list and said, look, I only really want to treat this many people. Let's say it's 20 people. He gave them invitations to come to his clinic and put his fees up by three or four times whatever they were in the first place. And they come in to his clinic, they have a nice cup of tea, have a chat to the dentist, he has a look at their teeth, and he only sees people he actually likes. Yeah. If it's if it's Paddy Lund, yeah, that's about, it. That's you should it. Google, yeah. should yeah. Google Paddy yeah. Lund because yeah. yeah. he was a great a revolutionary in this sort of area. Yeah. I heard reports Paddy actually gave the the keys to his practice to his most valuable clients. Mm. They let themselves in, let themselves out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was whole whole idea, and whole changing the whole way you think about the business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the interesting thing that Paddy did too, when you read his story, he um he made it very clear to anyone who stayed what he expected of them. Yeah. Uh, that this, these will be my fees. This is the situation. You're expected to refer, but only if they're good value, good quality mm. people. I don't, I, don't yeah. what, I don't want any but people like you. Yeah. Um, and he, he made it very clear you're expected to refer these people along. You pay a bill on time. You turn up on time. Yeah. yeah. So he laid the ground range very clearly. And I think we need to do that as well in healthcare because yeah. we, we tend not to. And that's one of the reasons why we, we sometimes get burnt out and disillusioned because yeah. we don't lay those ground rooms down well enough. Well, that's right. And uh, talking about consultation fees, I know this is an old chestnut, but um, I often uh, I often see patients, and they're you know they've been regular patients, and they, they might be a solicitor or a, a a professional of some kind, and I'm thinking. This guy that I'm treating, who respects me, who listens to what I say, and uh, comes in as I ask, and so on, they're earning about four times what I earn per hour. Uh, my solicitor, for example, you can't uh, pick the phone up and say hello without being sent a bill. What, what, do you, what, do, what are your feelings on consultation fees? Are they generally too low? Are we undercharging as health professionals? All right. Well, across the board, yes. Um, but, but let's go, go back a stage. We talked a second ago about responsibility. Who's, you know, who's faulted it? Why are we charging too little? Mm. And we've got to accept responsibility for that as well. You know, we set our fees... Yeah, you know, and it's but interesting enough when, when we get in, when you get into money with health professionals, you sort of you, it's interesting when you discuss with them where they got their fees from in the first place. Mm. So how, how did they where did they draw this this number? Yeah, and if you speak to them, they'll say, and guys from in the audience will probably recognise this. They they might think when they happened they practice, they did a ring around and they saw what other people were charging. Um, 
they then might have gone to the associations and saw what the recommended fees were. Yeah. And, and so they kind of really, but they didn't really have any input into the fees other than what everyone else is doing. Can you see what they've done, Wayne? They've just, they've basically just become part of the commoditization of healthcare. Sure, sure. So they're, so what does that mean? It means that the only, they're differentiating themselves based wholly and solely on price. Yeah. Which, which is a very, very dangerous place to be in healthcare. Mm. Now, so, so what's the solution to it? Well, firstly, firstly, don't be a commodity. So if you want to if you want to charge higher fees, you have to find out a way of standing out from the marketplace. Yeah. You know, I, I speak to health professionals all the time, and I say, why? Why would I? The question I ask is, well, why should I buy from you? Yeah. Compared to the guy up the road or someone else. Yeah. The classic answer I always get, well, I don't know, we do much the same as everyone else. We just do this, yeah. and that's what everyone doesn't. Everyone do that. <laughs> now, as soon as you start hearing that, you know you've got some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing. Why wouldn't I, as a consumer, think about price when that's the only real differentiation you're giving me? Yes, yes, yes. So think about the people that have done it well. Think about, um, you might have seen the, the Dean Watson, uh, for example, Headache Institute, Headache Guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dean, Dean charges, what's his console fees now? $400 for a half-hour console, 45-minute okay. console? Right, yeah. Excuse me, I, I, Dean doesn't mean to mention this, but... But so he, how can he charge that sort of money? Mm. Well, he's he's, diff, he's 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 worked out there's a market for a start. Yes. So he's, he's worked backwards. There's a market here. It's a specialised market, and he's probably got a book on it. He yeah. lectures on it. He's the expert in it. Mm. He's the go-to person in it. So he can charge whatever he likes. Yeah, yeah, that's now, right. Now, people out there will be thinking, yeah, but that's Dean Watson. Mm. Now, you've just got to think for you what. If you're trying to work out why should I buy from you, what's, what's your expertise? What are you really good at? Mm. What can you do that stands out from the crowd? Yes. Now, once you start thinking on those lines, you then have a, a, you've made a stand in the marketplace. It, it might be just simply you've targeted your market well. Yes. You might be the osteopath who, who underlooks after elite baseball players. Sure. So once you become the elite baseball player, Cairo or Osteo, yeah. you have you have staked a, a place in the ground. Yeah. So if I'm then a baseballer, yeah. I'm going to come and see you because you've, you've, you're the expert. Mm. Mm. So it might, and, and where we sometimes get in trouble here, one is we think, yeah, but but I'm no more of an expert than Brian up the road, who's who's been around for ten years more than me. I can't really say that I'm the baseball expert. Sure. Well, the other thing I've learned, and I think we all need to understand. Don't wait to be anointed. <laughs> don't, don't wait for your association to label you as the baseball expert. Anoint yourself. You've got to make it happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, 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 how do you make it happen? Well, you you might do a lecture at the baseball club yeah. that sets you up as the expert. Sure. Now, Brian up the road could have done the lecture role, but Brian wasn't there. Yes. So you're there. You've, you're making a position for yourself in the marketplace, yes. which then makes you stand out from the crowd. Now, you can, why should I buy from you? Well, I, I, I'm i the therapist for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah. Bang, you know, it's, 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 it's sometimes as simple as that. The other way you can do it, mm -hmm. which while I'm talking about consultation fees, is, is to package some things together. Yeah. So, classic example in, in my business, Wayne, we did, you might have heard of this, in, in, in Get Active Physio, we packaged together a core program. 
It was a workers' mm. compensation program. So we had uh, it was a three month program. It was a three month gym membership, um, twelve one hour sessions, mid end and post report for post workers' comp injuries. Like people had injured at work and needed to get back into fitness and health. Yeah. So so we packaged it up. And you can charge, I can tell you, you can charge much more for a package for a certain population than you can if you have that sessionally. Yeah, yeah. So, and you guys are doing this. I mean, have you got a group of runners who mm. are who are looking at, at running a marathon shortly? You might think, well, why don't we package together um, a running assessment, uh, a, a, a massage, a couple of three or four physiotherapy sessions, rehab sessions, a pair of orthotics, and get them ready for this marathon. So yeah, it's it's your marathon program. Yeah, yeah. And people will pay for that because I don't want to go to Jared Blow up the road who's just going to who's a normal physio or therapist mm. who's just going to. Yeah. Oh, we see some people. We see some runners. Yeah. I'll go to you because you've got the marathon package. Sure. Because you see a need, and then you accordingly you've put that it. together, and you've filled it. You've supplied that need, and you've given them some scarcity with that as well because you're yeah. the only guy who's thought of that. So or girl, and uh, you've uh, you've given them that uh, that treatment, for, and they think that, that this is a special thing for them only, which it is, and you because you've yeah. thought about it. There's a, there's a chiropractor I know in the states who has. A, a motor vehicle accident program. He's got a workers' compensation action program, mm-hmm. and he's got a sporting injury program. Yeah. So he's got he's got three different programs going. When you analyse the programs, we're all exactly the same treatment wise. Yeah. So there's no there's no difference in, no. in the treatment. <laughs> yeah. He's I mean, you know, it's much the same, but he's packaged them and called them something different. So if I've got the sporting injury, I'm going to go with a sporting injury package. Yes. Now, now, concern for you guys out there, health professionals. Be, be very aware of closing down here and thinking, well, yeah, that won't work for me or mm. that's too salesy or too marketing or all these things you get worried about as health professionals. Yeah. Remember, the number one thing you remember as a health professional, you are not your client. Mm. So, mm. So, you, so it's impossible for you to make a decision about what someone else really wants when you don't have the emotional attachment to it. Yeah. The, the classic example I talk about in my courses, if, um, if, I, if I'm a, a runner... Yeah. And, I, and I've got the City to Surf run coming up in three weeks' time. Yeah. It, it does not incident. It's the biggest running thing. There's 100,000 people run from City to Bondi. Yeah. And it's a massive event. Yeah. Let's say I'm, I'm, I want to run in this event. I'm a runner. And I'm the only person in my family for the last 20 years who if I don't run it, I, I, I missed out. Because everyone else, it's a family tradition. Sure. So everyone runs it every year, but I'm, I'm a chance of not running it. Yeah. Now that's that's in, in when we do our work with our clients, we talk about the significant emotional event. Yeah, that's the significant event that made that person come and seek treatment from you. Mm-hmm. Now, now if if I can then recommend they'll need to have this, this, this. They'll need a pair of orthotics. They'll need whatever they need, three times a week, whatever it takes. Mm. They will they will do it because of the importance of it to them. Mm. It's emotionally powerful for them to complete that run. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's impossible for you to understand that because you don't have the same emotional need. Sure. It's impossible for your admin team to understand why they'd pay $600 for a pair of orthotics when you know you buy them for 30 bucks or 40 whenever you buy them for. Yeah. But they're not the client. Yeah, so, yeah. So you've got to – what we have to do in our business, Wayne, we have to make sure we don't put – our financial hassles or our mm. thoughts about value on the client. Yeah. Because yeah. our job is to identify a need, fill it, 
charge a fair and reasonable price for it. Yeah. And if we can do that, the, the market determines whether it's too expensive or not, not us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And can I give you my, my favourite ever money story from a health professional? Go on, then. I know we're running out of time, but this is my favourite ever. Sure. Good friend of mine, Dr. Michael Jamison. You've heard this story. It's just continues to, continues to be a classic. Sports physician extraordinaire is Michael. Mm. He's, he's one of Australia's leading sports medicine doctors. He was the Wallaby, Wallaby sports physician, travelled the world with the Australian Rugby Union team. So he's a big wig yeah. okay, in sports medicine. Sure. He's got a, got a clinic at, at southern suburbs of Sydney. He's seeing a client one day. And he's also got the same money issues we have, by the way. Sure. Client goes in and sees Michael, a high-flying a high kind of executive type, sees Michael for a consultation. Finish, and Michael does a great job, as he always does. Guy's exceptionally happy, walks out to pay the bill. Yes. And the admin person gives him the, the bill and he pays it on the spot. And as he's walking out, he says, hang on a second, I'm just going to go back and see Michael. Turns around, walks back in, Michael, can I ask you something? I've just got a, got a problem. Mm. Is it just about your fees? Yes. He said that, and Michael's first reaction, too much? <laughs> and he, that's what's going to happen. The goofy guy says, well, Michael, look, you just spent half an hour with me. You charged me $90 or something. He said, that, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could, you should be two or three or four times that amount. Mm, like that's mm. just, that's just not, not up to your level. Yeah. Now, Michael, being the, being the easily influenced guy that he is, God bless him. He's well, thanks for the feedback. Mm. And he, he, and Michael on, on the spot walks out the front, mm. goes out to his receptionist, Mary, mm. fees are going up. <laughs> and of course, Mary's concerned when they're going up. And he said, right away. <laughs> and you could see in his waiting room, his patients, the current patients in the waiting room, they're, they're screaming out. Do it Monday. Do it Monday. <laughs> but he, he said, put it up straight away. How much, Michael? And he just almost doubled them on the spot and walked back in. <laughs> and it was just as simple as that. And the, 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 the it would have been a great comedy skip to see the people been. in the waiting room. Yeah. But he was in the same boat. He's undercharging, not really having an idea of how much his, his worth is to the marketplace. Sure. And, and, and I'll tell you now, that the, one of the major things I do when I first start working with a private client is look very closely at their fees. Mm-hmm. Because most of them undercharge. I've got a podiatrist I work with in Melbourne. I've been hammering her for six months to, to put a fees up. Yeah. And, and she's, I mean, she's the most price-sensitive person there. The admin team are a close second. The yeah. therapists come in, and then the patients are the least worried about it. Yeah. Finally, she puts the prices up, and and no, I said, "What happened?" She said, "Nothing. <laughs> no one, no one batted an eyelid." Mm-hmm. It's because it's a hassle to find something else. It's not again. It's not about the money. It's about the service you provide. Yeah. People are not price sensitive. They are value sensitive. Mm. Yeah. Very big give difference. Give them great value. Give them great quality. Stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Money is is irrelevant. Absolutely. And if you are attracting price sensitive clients, if you think your clients are too price sensitive, look at your marketing. Look at how you're attracting them. Yes. Yeah. You, you yeah. need to think about how you can find. Better pastures. My, my, while we're doing it, my classic story of that is I, I when my practices in, in Chatswood for years, I had some really A-class clients mm. were members, all members of the local private golf club. Right. And if I could, if I could have my time again, I, know I wasn't. I was too silly to realise this. They were ideal clients. Didn't care about the money. Came in regularly. Referred everyone. You, you've probably all got clients the same. Yes. They they, they pick all the boxes. Now. Why wasn't I looking for more of those? Why wasn't I playing golf at that golf club? Why wasn't I a member? Mm, Why wasn't I giving lectures? Yeah. Why wasn't I all over that golf club? Yep, yep. It, it just didn't make any sense. So for you guys, what's the tip? 
look through your ideal clients, work out where they are and what they do, where they hang out, and spend most of your time marketing to those guys because mm. that's 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 the goal. That's where the gold is in your business, and they're also the people you like treating the most. The eighty twenty rule, Paul. There you go. There's the eighty twenty rule in operation. Look, we've answered that question without even asking you that, so that's pretty good. <laughs> I think we need to go on Sorry, to I some. Get, I, get, I get I get excited <laughs> when I talk about business to health professionals. Well, I you know, I like no, no, no. I like. I love passion. You know, if we're not passionate about it, then don't do it. And I think we're all passionate about uh, health and uh, helping our patients. That's the ultimate goal. And uh, looking after our families and enjoying what we do every day. So it's it's great to hear someone who's passionate about what they teach and, and their life, basically. But let's go on to some questions because it's, uh, it's it's got some great questions here and some comments uh, that I'd like to put to you. And because there's so many of them and we haven't got much time, I'm just going to pre-see them. Uh, we've got, what process, what process do you use to increase your fees without putting patients offside? Um, I've always charged what I'm worth. Can we do that one? Well, hang on, I just, I just, all right, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll just give you a few because they're similar. Um, okay, what's, uh, which is generally, okay, this one here is, this is probably answers it. When I put up my prices, I only seem to lose the customers I hated seeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the classic though, when, when you do this, they, they say, and I, I've talked about this in, in all of our courses and other things, but if I put my prices up in my practice, yeah. And you know, so when I said like this podiatrist, you know, she finally puts a price up. I said, what happened? She said, nothing. She said, what do we do now? I said, well, very soon we put them up again. Mm. Because we, because she doesn't know her own price point. Yeah. She doesn't know at what stage people think it's too much. Yeah. And I think most health professionals are the same way. We are way undervaluing our service, mm. and we have no real idea how much value we create to our clients. And we don't really appreciate how much value they get and how much they will pay for our services. Mm, mm, mm. And then we can't because we're not our client. What's the only real way to test it is to put your prices up and there will come a point where your profit drops. And if that's the case, then you, you might adjust them again. But it, I've never seen it happen. Sure. Okay. Well, so, yeah. so the question though, first, how do you increase the fees? Um, for, for a start, you don't pre-warn people. You don't sit there and say the fees are going up in two weeks' time. That's just that's ridiculous. Yeah. You just, you know, I say to my guys, when I have one of my meetings with them, I say prices go up. When when do I go up, Paul? First thing tomorrow morning. Mm. So if you haven't if you haven't put your prices up for six months, you should walk into your practice tomorrow morning, and put at least five to ten percent on the bottom on, on, on the price. And just tell your admin guys the price have gone up today. If you're worried about it, which sometimes you are, yeah. just to let you know we've had a small fee increase. If that's what the script that you want to say, yeah. that's fine. If if anyone does blow up. If yep. one of your clients, oh, I should have been told. Yeah. So no problems, Mister Johnson. We'll charge you the old fees from today, yes. but next time it'll be the new fee. How's that? <laughs> it, it, but I tell you now, less than less than one percent of people even say anything. We're we're conditioned to understand that fees go up. Mm. It goes up in everything. Everything we know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and can I can I just before we, while we're doing this because I don't want everyone to think, okay, Roddy's the million dollar health professional. It's all about the money. Mm. That, that's if if I've come across like that, I apologise. That's not the case, but I see too many health professionals who've been around giving great service for way too long, who either get out of the business or get burned out because they're they're, they're spreading themselves too thin. They can't. They're not charging enough to have more staff. They're not charging enough to have more admin. So as a result, their their quality of life and their business is suffering. 
Sure. So your patients want you to be successful and they want you to have enough money to be, to be valuable so that you stay treating them. Yes. Otherwise they lose you and they don't want to do that. No. They, would rather, they would rather pay more and you were happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my accountant's a classic. My accountant could say to me, Paul, I hope he's not listening, <laughs> he could say to me tomorrow, Paul, I'm doubling your fees. Mm. And I'd just go, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. he's valuable to me. He doesn't yeah. have his value either. Mm, mm, mm. That's right. I hope he's not on the call. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got him on the line, actually. He's just popped in and, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> now, we're going to go with quick fire questions, Paul, because we've got four minutes and we don't want to keep people too long. Um, okay, so you've got a minute to answer this question. <laughs> Sis, um, what if we're about to hire another physio staff member. What are your keys to hiring? Okay, uh, well, very easy. You, you, hire, you, you hire on people skills. Uh, you, you hire the person who can communicate the best, who's got the gross best people skills. You, you rarely, you rarely, if ever, have success hiring just on technical skill, which yeah. is which I know is wrong when you think about education and other things, because I'm expecting they're good clinically. Yeah. And if they're not, I can train them to be good clinically, which is why your courses are so good, one, because you train people to be good clinically. Yeah. But I can't train people skills. No. So what do I hire on? I, I hire on personality. Sure. That's, that's, and the other tip for you when you're hiring, um, hire slow and fire fast. Yeah. It's one of my favourite sayings. <laughs> if the person hasn't worked out after a few days, it's not going to change. Get rid of them quick. Yes. Okay. Don't, don't hang around. Get rid of them quick. All right. Okay. It's as ruthless and heartless as it may be, but you're better off getting rid of them now rather than being six months down the track and saying, gee, I wish I'd done something six months ago. Okay. All right. Next question. Uh, okay. So this is a, a classic. I know the answer, but I love the answer, and that's what I want to share it with everyone tonight. So a patient walks into your clinic, and uh, reception says hello. Patient says hi. I'm just wondering how much your uh, physio or osteo or whatever you do, how much your treatments are. What should I say? Okay. You, I taught this years ago. You, how, how, much, how much has that line made you? Want, I've, you I've dined your, on that. I've dined on how that much, one. How much money do you think it's made? Well, look, too much to mention. Too much to mention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the first thing you've got to appreciate is they actually aren't asking you how much a consult is. That's not their question. Yeah. We think it is because we're analytical people and we think, well, they're, they're, they're asking us a straight question. They want a straight answer. Yeah. It's actually not the question they're asking at all. The, the question they're really asking is, can you help me? Mm. They're just yeah. conditioned to ask something to get the ball rolling. They want to know, can you help them? Mm. So as a result of their need, and that's what they want. See, the other thing, if I even answer the question straight away, yeah. I'm playing the commodity game. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They might have rung six other practices. And yeah. if I say $70, they yeah. say, well, we have to go over 65 thanks very much. Yeah. But that's ridiculous because I haven't. they don't know anything about what I can do and I might be the new specialist and they've got a new problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my, my answer to that, Wayne, and the, the million-dollar script for you guys mm -hmm. and your team should be all over it, as you know, what have you done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, and that, and can I tell you that script, what have you done? I hate to think how much it's made us over the years. Sure. And that, But, Wayne, that's the answer to almost anything you get at front desk or in a clinical situation. Yeah, yeah, because I think that, that, you know, that applies what, for everything. What do you know about shoulders? Yeah. What do you know about shoulders? Mm. Do you do massage? Do you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what type, what are your hours? Yeah. How much is a consult? It doesn't matter what they ask. <laughs> it's what have you done? Yeah. Because that then lets you get straight away to the emotional reason they're coming in. What What have you done? Well, I've got this run on Saturday, and if I mm. don't do it on the first bloke yeah. you know, that hasn't done it, well, let's get there organised. Our, our guys are experts in these. They've actually got a new rehab program specifically for runners. Yes. 
Yeah. Because two o'clock this afternoon. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it also so, applies to this, Paul. It is not even about your treatment. If they came in and said, how much are your wheat bags? Well, what seems to be the problem? Why do they want a wheat bag? Well, okay, well, they want a wheat bag because they want to apply some heat to something. Something's in trouble. They want a garden. They want to go to, to run, whatever it is. The same yeah. applies. What's your story? How can I help? Yeah, that's all they're asking. Mm. And your, your job is to tell them you can. If you can, great. If you can't, you send them somewhere, you, someone who can help them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're not actually asking. We just think analytically that's what they're asking. But they're actually trying to ask us, uh, can you help me? Sure. Okay. So that, that's my answer to all that. If, if they then come back again after you've done all that, that's 2 o'clock Friday, yes. they might say something like, oh, how much do I bring? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how much does it cost them? Yeah. That, that's a yeah. totally different thing. Yeah, you yeah. framed it. Yeah. And they don't care about the money. Sure. Just removing the whole idea of commodity. That, that's a golden line for you guys. You should be all using it. If any of your team ever, and I'd be ringing my practice tomorrow and asking the question, how much is a consult? Mm. And if your team give them the price, I'd go ballistic. Right. Okay, so we've got two things to do tomorrow. Move. We've got to put the fees up and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, put the fees up. <laughs> okay, now, last question um, before we get to the end and uh, wrap up. Scripts. I love scripts, okay? And... Uh, how important are scripts? Now, we've talked about a lot about what we expect our staff to do as far as our, um, our technical staff and what we should do, but how important are scripts for our reception staff? Okay. Well, your scripts can make or break your business for a start. And, and before I, I tell you a couple, the, the people who say, I don't like scripts, mm. and that there's people out there, there would be therapists who will say, oh, I just don't like being scripted. Uh, I don't like being told what to say. Mm. Your admin team says, oh, I'll, just, I'll just make it up. I don't like being controlled. Mm. If you listen to that person often enough, yeah. they'll say the same thing over and over again. Yeah. My point is <laughs> they've, got, they've already got a script. Yeah. It's just a bad one. Yeah. So, so your job is to inform them and work with them about the scripts they're using, but think about the common scenarios that they're getting and, and try and give them better alternatives. Sure. The, the, the classic example I used, Wayne, was, was when I was planted at one of my clinics once, and I was listening in, as I was trying to get close to reception, as I said, phone rings, the girl answers, the beautiful girl answers the phone, she says, um, oh, I know he's fully booked. Mm. Thanks for calling. <laughs> and that was the, that was the call. Oh, no. And, I, and, I, as, and I'm sitting there at the back, and, and it didn't take long before her head to appear around the corner, because she knew I was listening. Yes. And she says, uh, wasn't very good, was it? Mm. I said, no, it wasn't ideal. Yeah. Can we do something better than that? Yeah. So then we worked, we brainstormed a, a, a script. Now, it might have been something like, um, oh, sorry, John's busy, but John, John's fully booked, but Brian's got a spot at 2 o'clock today. Yeah. We can get you in there, and John can poke his head in. He's, he's here at the same time, so we can get you started straight away. Hmm. By the way, what have you done? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you, so you're scripted better. So yeah. you're using a script. Mm. We're all using scripts. Just get better ones. Sure. It can kill your business, Wayne, in all, in all areas of it. Which is uh, very important to know if it's going to kill your business or something that I want to know about. And talking about things that you want to know about, let's wrap up by uh, mentioning this. Of course, you run the Million Dollar Health Professional website and you coach people. You've got fantastic uh, and quality information about running your business. All sorts of things that we've been talking about tonight. You have them available on your Million Dollar Health Professional site. And we'll send you links to those at the end of this webinar tomorrow. And as promised, there is an MP3, a free MP3 audio um, from Paul, who will be sending that out to everyone who's registered for this webinar. 
and uh, he's going to give you over $500 worth of Paul's business DVDs and CDs for only 20 bucks. That's the offer that we've got especially for you who've registered for this webinar. So watch out for the email after this webinar. And um, just tell us a bit about that free gift, Paul. Well, um, you'll, I'll get the email addresses for people who've registered for the day. I'll send everyone uh, an email that'll have a link to a page where they can get a free 60-minute audio presentation on how to increase profits from your health business. Uh, we go a lot into about money and other things as well, so that's a good start for you. There's also a free ebook there, Why Health Professionals Operate Poor Businesses and What to Do About It. So I'll send you a link in the email. Now, because you're then on my email list, I send a business email out every week. So if by chance you don't want to receive that, just unsubscribe from that, uh, that email after you've got that original one. Regarding the other offer, um, what I've put together is interesting. It's the Paul's Incredible Gift Package. Now, there's a lesson here for you guys. If you go to write this website down, and I'll send in the email as well, but if you write down the website cpdhealthoffer.com, so go to cpdhealthoffer.com, what I've got there is a, is a package of over $500 worth of, of business building materials posted to you. So there's one of them, there's a DVD, a two-hour DVD, how to increase profits in health business. There's a CD, um, step one of my eight-step program, W, profits and halve your work. And the first step is work-life balance, which is very important for you guys. There's a CD interview I did with uh, my web guru, Derek Reese, on website mistakes. There's another CD on my business, my biggest ever health business mistakes. There's another CD, the Practice Acceleration Program. I go through 12 steps of great health business. That's all included in that package that get posted to you. You also get 30 days access to my Profit Club membership site. So all that's included in the package. If you like that, for $19.95, you can get that posted out to you. Um, if you like what's on it, um, you also get access to the Profit Club membership program, which means every month you get sent another CD. You get access to a forum where you can ask me questions about your business, other professionals answer it. It's just a, it's a great ongoing program. So the program is it's $19.95 to give it a try for 30 days. If you like it, you stain it. It's $97 a month to stain it. And it's, it's great value, great material, and that'll be a – I'll send the link to you. But if you go to cpdhealthoffer.com, you can get that, that – uh, over $500 worth of material sent out. You can cancel any time. There's no lock-in contracts. It's a really good program, and it'll all be explained when you go to that website. But it's a great program. I suggest you get into it. How's that? That is fantastic, Paul, and I think uh, sums it up uh, by uh, Melissa, who says, thank you, that was absolutely brilliant, very enjoyable. Katrina, who says, thank you, this has been very informative, and uh, that's Robin, actually, and uh, Katrina says, thank you, as well. So, um, in fact, here, we've got a great one here, this is, this is really good, Selena says, thank you very much, seriously insightful and entertaining webinar, loved it. <laughs> Look, think comments well, like that. <laughs> Look, comments like that. I don't know about you, but they just—that's it. You know, for me, uh, there goes a lot of work to get this uh, webinar uh, off the ground and up and running, and so on, and organising. But I just love that feedback, and I really, really appreciate your feedback, guys. You're listening to us, and uh, of course, I'd like to thank you, Paul. Um, you've been entertaining and insightful, and more. <laughs> And uh, I hope that uh, perhaps we can talk uh, maybe next year. And uh, I'd really like you to uh, uh, keep doing your great work because it's helping a lot of health professionals out there. So thank you very much, Paul. My, my total pleasure. I hope I, hope I didn't come across too, uh, 
too salesy or too money. But it's interesting one, I did a lecture once called um, how, was it, how to Increase Profits in the Healthcare Business was the lecture that I did. Yeah. And one of the feedback forms said, uh, this lecture was too much about money. Now, I, I said, did you not read the lecture? <laughs> did you not read the title? Was there something you're missing? Yeah. yeah. Now, as I said, money is not the be on it. You love what you do, but I think you should be rewarded for it. And part of that is having a great business. Yeah. So yeah. thanks everyone for listening. I've, I've had a great time. Thank you very much, Paul. And just finally, if you joined us late, um, we are recording this right now, so we'll send you all a link to this. And even if you are listening, you'll get another link so that uh, you'll be able to listen to it again. And uh, a quick note that on Thursday, 26th of February 2015, next year, I'll be talking to our next guest, who is Dr. Orlando Mayoral, who's a physiotherapist from Spain and president of the International Society of Myopain. He's published a wonderful study about dry needling and knee arthroplasty and involves a novel way to apply sham dry needling. So please join me for that webinar and I'll send you details about that very soon. Thank you very much, everyone, and thank you very much, Paul. Good night. CPD Health Courses. Dry needling training for health professionals. Online theory plus face-to-face -face practical. Start your training today at cpdhealthcourses.com.